my theremin goes like this. Last week, uh, the Skype update wiped my settings, so uh, it recorded from the microphone on my laptop instead of my professional microphone, and it sounded so bad that I almost didn't post it, but then... Then Stephanie said, I need a new podcast to listen to, so would you please post it? <laughs> okay. So I, I posted it. Well, this should sound okay now. Yeah, it sounds uh, better than okay. You sound great. Well, you look great. Oh, buddy, thank you. Got that Ooh. orange hat on and a bathrobe? No, no, it's a, it's like a grandpa cable cardigan. Knit, uh, cable knit cardigan? Yeah, cable knit cardigan. See yours? Huh? Looks like you might have borrowed it from a movie set. No, no, it was a Christmas gift from my mom. Although I told her I wanted it, I think she had her doubts. I, I think she doesn't like my my grandpa aesthetic in the winter. It looks cozy. It is cozy. It is of cotton and easily easily cleaned. For for listeners who are looking for a sweater, it's it's a Lucky Brand cable knit cotton cardigan. Also, I have a cold. You'll probably notice from my uh, coughing, nose-blowing, and uh, gravelly voice. Gravelly. Well, you sound fine. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Hey, you're welcome. How you been? It's been Pretty, a couple weeks. It has. It's, it's been very eventful weeks, too. I have a lot of stuff to talk about. Oh, well, let's get started, then. Mm. You've been traveling? Yeah, well, let's, uh, that's a good place to start. I went to, um, I went to uh, Sarah Lawrence. Uh, and given and who's she? Uh, she is a lady who has taken the form She's a friend of, yours? of mm-hmm. a college in Yonkers, oh. New York. Okay. All right, we're friends now. Um, yeah, but we we weren't we weren't until I drove into her. Yeah, I gave a talk on the third person. Um, and uh, not you or me. But the third person, Alice, I guess, right. is the third person. That was yeah. what the talk was about. <laughs> it was about Alice. The, the, the third person is yeah. Alice Boland. Yeah. I like to think that she's always implied whenever uh, <laughs> I talk. Yeah. Alice is always implied. Because I aspire to be Alice Boland <laughs> when I grow up. As if that's a thing you're going to do. <laughs> uh, but I uh, two noteworthy things about it, um, two or three. One is... Uh, my son Oliver, and he has been nicknamed Toby for most of his life, and he's decided, as he's starting college, he grew a beard and uh, decided to assume his real first name, which is Oliver, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was a reason that we named him that. We thought it was a good name for him, and it is. But now I realize both of our children are O for short, so I can't just say O and be referring to Owen. Um, and now when I, when I call him, I could say OT, sure. OT. Uh, Uh, now when I'm, when I'm addressing Oliver, it sounds as though I'm scolding him the way a parent does. And they, 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 you know, yes. Oliver. Drop the nickname. Oliver. Put your shoes on. (laughs) Shoes. Oliver. Shoes. Shoes. I I, uh, I said that to him many times, m- uh, much longer into his uh, into his teen yeah. years than you would might you might think. Uh-huh. Uh, we're gonna go. You want to go? Well, your shoes aren't on. You gonna put them on? All right. Well, let's go. Shoes. No. Shoes. So anyway, he was home from college for his first uh, break. He's he's just started college, and uh, uh, he had a bus ticket back to Stony Brook where he's at college, but it's a long, it's a four hour bus trip from Ithaca to New York city. And then another, you know, hour or so from New York to up to Stony Brook. And I just said, why don't you, why don't you just come with me to Sarah Lawrence and you can Mm. take a quick train down to the city and then on out, you have to spend less time on the train and we can catch up. Uh, And uh, that's exactly what happened. So it was kind of, kind of fun to drop my kid off on a, on a, Subway train, or it, mm-hmm. it wasn't underground quite yet, but mm-hmm. uh, then I gave the talk and I met. Um, I can't remember if I recommended this book on the podcast, I think I did, uh, called 49 Venezuelan Novels by Sebastian Castillo. Yes, yeah, so um, 
I didn't know much about him, but I guess maybe he's a grad student or perhaps a lecturer at Sarah Lawrence because he showed up at the talk um, to my great surprise. And he was his, there. Yeah, he was there. So totally sweet guy. I uh, didn't get to talk to him very long because it was right at the tail end of when I had to go. Um, but um, but a shout out to him and his book. I'll relink to it. Uh, it's a really good book, and uh, he's a. It's nice. Sometimes nice to know that the person whose book you like is not a dick. So, um, but uh, we ate at a restaurant. I ate there with um, uh, with a poet. Hold on, I will tell you a poet named Page. Page, yeah, Page, uh, Page Ackerson Kelly, um, and a. Uh, see, now I'm looking them up. I only remember everybody's first names. There was a, a, a fantasy writer named Lara. Um, hold on, hold on. Her name is uh, Laura Elena Donnelly, and she wrote. She writes the Amberlow series of fantasy novels, and we talked about teaching speculative fiction uh, at colleges, which is a, a yeah. subject that's close to my heart. Um, so I'm, I haven't read her stuff yet, uh, but I will. Uh, and then uh, we went to this restaurant, this uh, Italian restaurant, and it's called uh, Rosie's Bistro Italiano in Bronxville. I don't, I don't recommend it as a place to go for delicious food. The food was, was passable, but yeah. the, the artwork... It's as though someone went to uh, a, a big museum, like the, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, say, and looked at all the Renaissance paintings of angels and thought, why don't these angels look like people I'd like to fuck? Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a series of paintings that... Uh, that has that features more fuckable angels and sexy angels, sexy angels. So the results are, as you can imagine, utterly appalling. And we're yeah. sitting there completely surrounded by these, just these hideous, hideous acrylics and drawings. So if that's a thing that sounds like a good ironic fun to you, you should go to this place. Or or serious fun. Well, well, it was serious, all right. Anyway, what did you have there? Did you have a pasta? No, I had um, angel hair pasta, angel pubic hair pasta. I, I had some uh, bits of um, mozzarella cheese wrapped in prosciutto. Nice and fried. They were very rubbery, greasy little golf balls of fat. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I had some. Uh, I guess you'd call it sort of a ceviche, a tartare of tuna, but with some avocado in there, mm -hmm. which would seem like something that's very hard to mess up if you have fresh fish and a fresh avocado. But it turned out to be sort of sort can of be done. pasty. Mm -hmm. So it was nourishing. I felt full and energetic afterwards, so there's that. But I don't think it was the tastiest Italian food. Had a, you had a nourishing paste. A nourishing paste. Yeah. <laughs> so my when my uh, uh, grandfather uh, first um, started working, he he worked for a uh, uh, worked for an insurance company, and this is my dad's grandfather's the the Irish side of my family. And uh, he eventually he ended up uh, ended up working uh, for a cement company for most of the rest of his career. But in the early days, he was selling insurance. He was selling uh, funeral insurance, mm -hmm. um, mostly to uh, Irish immigrants um, who were feared that the, their families wouldn't be able to pay for their funeral if they died. So he sold them funeral insurance, and this was um, this was a great comfort to a lot of these people. My uncle told me that at my grandfather's funeral, these old Irish guys kept coming up to him and saying, <laughs> your father was a great man. He sold me the insurance. <laughs> and I can't, uh, can't see or hear the word insurance without thinking the insurance. insurance. It makes it sound spookier. Spooky insurance. <laughs> Sold oh. me insurance, blah. <laughs> Tis the season. 
It is the season. We're all in on the season over here. Oscar is crazy for Halloween. Yeah. I don't mind it. Um, so we watched uh, Hotel Transylvania 3 last night. Uh-huh. And uh, about every, every few days we watch uh, 100 Floors of Fright, the David S. Pumpkins skit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which he just can't get enough of. It's and pretty frankly, funny. And frankly, neither can I. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. We have a couple pumpkins. We have a glow-in-the-dark skeleton. One of the pumpkins has a witch's hat yep. on it. We have his vampire costume already selected. Um, and it's still actually quite a ways till Halloween. But we're ready for it. I'll have to teach that night. Yeah. Teach the night of Halloween, which is also my wife's birthday. What's the um, – What's the? Uh, I'm, I, I recall that about your wife. What is the uh, day of the week? It's a Wednesday. Well, that's very inconvenient. Are you also in a Wednesday evening state of mind? Uh, I teach till 4.30, so I, I'll be able to get home possibly in time to dole out candy. Yeah, I teach from 5.30 to 9.30. Yeah, that's that's right in the pocket there. That's not good. Ha- Halloween night, uh, the night before Thanksgiving, which I have to have, I have to hold class that night. Yeah. And it was also the night of my birthday, my own birthday. Yeah. I teach, I teach very little. But the, the the one time of the week, the one time slot I could pick, and I thought I picked it, <laughs> that could be selected for me was the uh, the only the only nights that I would rather not be doing something. Did you otherwise have a good birthday? Did you uh, did you eat eat good food? Do something entertaining? Oh, I think I, I had a, I had a fine birthday. I didn't end up with any cake of any sort. Really? Yeah, no cake. Oh, they had made a cake for me. Uh, but the ants got to it. Oh. So I found my birthday cake half eaten by others um, uh, covered in ants. Ants, ants. And didn't get to have any of it. I'm sorry to hear it. That's I had a little birthday cake yesterday. I went to uh, one of Oscar's friends' birthdays. Oh, good. Uh, whose uh, the kid's grandmother had made a three-level cake. Sure. Uh, pineapple uh, first layer, chocolate, top layer, and. Uh, a secret um, <laughs> uppermost la- layer that nobody it was removed and and not touched, and I don't know why. It might have been an artificial topper to make it look like a bigger cake than it was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. So my birthday was fine. I am forty-seven now. Most of last year, when I was forty-six, I thought that I was forty-eight. Did you really? I did. I really thought I was forty-eight. What, Most of the year. What was I was it fine that, with that. What was I've it? been 48 since I was 18. <laughs> so I feel pretty good about 47. What triggered the epiphany that you, that you were actually 46, not 48? Simple math. Simple <laughs> like, how old are you going to be? It's like, well, I suppose I'll be 49. <laughs> you go from 46 to 49 overnight. Yeah, that would put you uh, born in 1969, which you were not. No, no, I'm born in 1971. Yeah. Um, so it was it was fine. We've been traveling a bit. We went to San Francisco. <laughs> Fran- Francisco? San, yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, two weekends ago to attend the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival oh. in Golden Gate Park. Yeah. Six stages, about a half a million people, free. And Hot I got diggity. to see everything. We stayed with... Uh, with our friend Mary, um, and uh, just did public transportation two days there and back. Walked in without paying a dime, no corporate sponsorship or anything. Real nice. Very mellow, Golden Gate, weather is perfect. The Blue Angels were flying over because it was Fleet Week, and just coincidentally were in the path, so get to see uh so du- during the the kavanaugh confirmation i was mm. looking up american mm. military might entertainment oh that's and, sweet uh, sweet hearings thank you for bringing them up nostalgic american music it was a it's a real constellation of weirdness and and uh, uh despite the national madness of the weekend sure uh, very pleasant just be laying in a field with a few hundred thousand other people listening to emmylou harris that's not bad at all. And uh, Del McCurry. Yep. Peter good, Rowan. Good, good. Rodney Crowell. Steve Forbert. Yeah. Um, 
the Flatlanders, Booker T, and Young Musicians. And what's the, the name of this War festival and the again? Treaty, uh, hardly strictly bluegrass. Mm-hmm. It's about forty percent bluegrass. <laughs> I, I gathered. Yeah. Hardly strictly bluegrass. Very nice. I like it. Um, My friend Shauna, who I think you might have met Shauna, uh, she has, has a group of friends that are very – they live pretty near the park and they they send in people at about four in the morning to lay out tarps at the front of the stage so that even though there are – you know, there's a crowd of a couple hundred thousand people, they are in lawn chairs eating brie and triscuits. Yeah. Um, untroubled by the uh, throng behind them, pleasantly enjoying uh, – Emmy Lou or whoever, um, as if it were a, a small town gazebo, <laughs> like in the yeah. uh, like in the hit TV series uh, The Gilmore Girls. Never saw it. <laughs> there's a yes. there's a gazebo where wholesome music is performed. Well, it was like that then. Yeah, like that. Yeah. I have um, two things that you said. You mentioned now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, and you mentioned a music festival. I saw, uh, I went to a music festival this past weekend that was held at uh, at Cornell at the, uh-huh. at the artsy dorm Riz, Risley uh, at Cornell. It was not a student involved thing though. The, the theater had been rented out to some local people, of whom I am an acquaintance, and uh, they held the. The big EZ, E standing for Electro Zone, which is a weekly synthesizer meetup at the uh, yeah. at the Kava Bar downtown. And the big EZ was going to be a festival where um, Ithaca Electronic Music Acts and people from out of town uh, were going to join forces for three days and play. And uh, it was really good. Um, I was there Friday mostly because my uh, sort of ambient EDM act, the Bemis Point. I used to be in mm-hmm. with my friend Jim. We have reunited. and Jim star- Spitznagel. Exactly. And we're playing gigs mm-hmm. again. Uh, and I think we've played pretty well. Um, Did you play old uh, Bemis Point standards? <laughs> you, funny you should mention that, because our music, you might recall, is pretty much entirely... Uh, improvised we we agree on a pizza per minute we agree on a key uh and we have some stuff that in rehearsal that we go to like he'll he'll go to a particular beat or particular instrument or sound and i'll know that that now it's time for me to accompany it with this other sound so each each run each rendition of it is different but uh sort of has a has a groove to it. But it was all stuff we're making up on the spot, basically. And we only had 25 minutes, so we played one long kind of evolving piece of music. And uh, and at the end, Jim said, uh, our CD is available for sale, and the piece we just performed is a version of the song Museum on the Moon mm-hmm. from the CD, he clearly which had, was news to you. Which was news to me. He clearly had yeah. read the crowd, realized they liked what we did, and then uh-huh. said, why don't you pay money for something yeah. that I am now lying to you is yeah. on the – the song yeah. is on. So I thought that was very clever marketing. Um, but the thing that re- – the, the, the Kavanaugh part of this is that um, a guy – one of the samples I used – so everyone had – not everyone, but several of the acts had some kind of spoken word recordings that were being sort of transformed into musical elements, including me. I had – you know that uh, – I can't remember if we talked about this, that bizarre, sad thing that happened in Seattle a couple of months ago where the guy stole a plane from SeaTac yeah. Yeah. and was doing aerial tricks – and yep. the air traffic controllers tried to talk him down and it, to no avail, and he ended up perishing. Crashed into an island. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the Puget Sound. So there's a, the, the recording, uh, the air traffic control recording of, the, of this guy trying to get him out of the air. It had been made public. Yeah, I listened to some of it. It's, um, man... I don't know what to say about it. It's extraordinarily sad, but I used a few snippets of it um, from – they kept talking to him like 
it was a given that he was going to land. Yeah. And he just was not addressing that topic. He wanted to talk, but not about that, because on on some level, maybe it was, maybe it was an overt suicide. Um, Maybe it was like he didn't even really know what he. Maybe he just put the end game out of his mind. It's hard. It's hard to tell, but it's very clear that he. This was his moment, and this was how he was going out. And the air traffic controllers are just kind of pretending that that's not what's going on. Um. And there's a sort of moving sadness and futility to it that I was really struck by. So I put I, I took a few samples of that and put it in the um, in our song. But somebody used the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. It had just been days before, <laughs> and it was and the guy who did it was actually really good. He uh, he took a few little snippets of voices from the news and put them in his songs. The songs were really good. Uh, his name was uh, Dan Barefoot. Um, and the other acts from this from Utica, two other acts from Utica, Zalatan, which is like one lady playing. Uh, she very much looked like she was like a roadie for Def Leppard in the eighties. She was playing a Jackson guitar of that era, or the style of that era, sort of a super strat with a pointy headstock. And um, mm-hmm. her songs were like all the rest of us were just playing sound spaghetti but she was she was playing songs it was very much like if post rock existed in 1987 it would have sounded like this and then there was a guy called fun guy um who is making a lot of noise um mm-hmm. anyway but the Brett Kavanaugh sample was like i like beer we were drinking beer <laughs> I still like beer. Have I made you sad in many, in several ways at once? Sad and happy. Okay. Right in the, the sweet spot. Sappy. So this past week, so we came back from San Francisco. We ate, we ate well. Uh, when you're going to a festival, you have to, uh, uh, make some decisions about food so we we uh we thought there would probably be food there and there there was but i uh we we gorged ourselves before going because we were there from like 11 in the morning till seven at night okay so we had really big hearty pre-lunches sure so one particular fantastic place on um division i mean divisadero what kind of food Smoked meats. Yeah. 4505 Meats was the name of the place. <laughs> and to find it, I Googled Divisadero Smoked Meat. And this is what came up. <laughs> yeah. 4505 Meats. I like it. A good brisket. Oh, this looks great. Good ribs. Good sides. Oh, was, boy. It held us, held, held, took care of us for a. Uh, for the day stuck to our ribs great their ribs stuck to our ribs <laughs> did you in fact eat ribs um we, yeah, we ordered some ribs we had a little sampler plate so we had the brisket some ribs and uh pulled pork great great and uh a sweet tea uh stephanie's folks visited us last weekend Mm-hmm. stayed in our guest room for a few days and they brought with them as well as their parakeet my good friend linus they brought along uh as a gift to us a big old cooler full of meat mm. and uh stephanie made some lamb logs of lamb log of lamb is what she called it sort of tiny tiny meat loaves of lamb last night for dinner and there's many more meats to come so i'm definitely mm-hmm. in a meat a meaty mode did it arrive meatloafed, or did you all enloaf in it? Uh, it was already ground, but uh, uh-huh. it was, she was the one who enloafed it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have... Um, good. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching... Uh, I ran into an unexpected, unexpectedly worrying uh, pedagogical situation... Last week, um, I taught, as I have taught many times, James Welch's classic 
1976 novel, Winter in the Blood. A favorite of ours? Correct. Here's the Mm -hmm. thing, though. Uh, A number of women in the class were very upset by it because of the pretty explicitly sexist way the narrator views women. And this was only the first half. We read the first half last week. And in the second half, the narrator, the unnamed narrator, actually smacks a woman whom he's having sex with. And it is the book acknowledges that it's very bad. Uh, and in fact, it's the moment when the narrator has scraped bottom and the thing that begins to bring back his memories of uh, of his brother's death that are kind of like the, the thing that has sapped his ability to connect with other people. But um, I don't know if I can teach it anymore. I think even the students who were upset acknowledged that they were not, um, they didn't fault the writer necessarily for writing it. They were just, they just have about had it with women being talked about the way the narrator is talking about women in the book. Um, and uh, so I, I ended up send, taking the rare step of sending out a trigger warning about the second half of the book this morning because we're going we're gonna to talk about it Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I hate to think that I can't teach that book anymore. And I think I can. I don't think the students are traumatized. I um, just think they were displeased. Um, and I'm glad they felt confident enough to actually talk about it and just, instead of to kind of seethe about it. But what do you think, Ed? <laughs> Sounds like a difficult situation. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've taught the book a number of times. We've had discussions about that. Um, and they were fruitful discussions. I feel like the book might be a good way to have those discussions because I think it is, at its heart, very humane. Um, and I, my, I'm totally on board with having a more sensitive classroom than than some of us are accustomed to having in the past that um that I think making the university a place where everybody can feel like it is a safe space as they say to learn stuff is great but this is the I feel like this is the kind of book where you have to write about people's worst impulses one must write about this one cannot avoid writing about this because then literature becomes meaningless and boring uh, so how do you write about these impulses and who gets to do it? And I, I continue to think James Welch gets to do it because the book is great. But I'm, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know about that. I don't either. The past, the past was uh, – uh, can't apologize for itself. Yeah, isn't going to. We shouldn't expect it to. Um, yeah, it's always difficult and a privilege to choose books for or things for people to read because there's so many. Yeah, excellent things to choose. One can one can. It's a gamble. You think you've chosen something that will be both challenging and welcoming um but you you can't you can't know what somebody is going to find you know appropriately off-putting um (laughs) you know i don't one of the i think the, the the wrong way to try to correct for that is to just teach contemporary work yeah, I, that that is that is sort of vetted for contemporary tastes by being contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that has its limitations too. Yeah, I find myself usually teaching things from the second half of the twentieth century on. Uh, regardless, um, I. I often feel incompetent trying to teach things from the distant past, even though those are things I often like to read. Maybe I should get over that, though. Like, I would never teach, like, Madame Bovary. No. I mean, I never taught it. I love it. 
Yeah. I've encouraged people to read it, but I don't think I would assign it. Um, I also think if, if, I mean, it depends on what, what sort of class it is. If you're trying to, if people have come to you because they're interested in being writers, um, they you should probably encourage them to read Madame Bovary. Yeah, no, certainly advocate for Madame Bovary. And the making of Ashenden and all sorts of difficult things. <laughs> Not going there. But if you aren't, but if this, the context isn't, how do I become a writer? It's how do I read literature or think critically? Then, you know, go a different direction. Yeah. I'm teaching a really good book in my just like my first year writing class. Um, it's these essays, this this book of essays edited by Viet Nguyen, Viet, uh, who wrote uh, yeah, yeah the sympathizer. You know who he is. He's yeah. coming. To, he's coming uh, to Ithaca next week. I'm introducing him in his reading and uh, taking him out to dinner. I'm looking forward to it. Such a fucking great writer. Yeah, he's really good. And then such a um, you know distinctive voice. Um, and his kind of. I think his fiction is fantastic, and his his sort of you know critical writing or you know public writing is is, is very fine. So he edited this this anthology this this uh, anthology of essays. It's called The Displaced, I think. Mm-hmm. Dis- it's called Displaced, and it's all uh, refugee writers writing about refugee experience. Yeah, and it's a great bunch of writers, some of whom I, I've read, um, like David Besmogus and. And uh, Vutran, uh, and some I hadn't. Sure, were really good. Azamengiste, uh, Dina Nairi, some others. Great little essay. It's great for first year writing because they're, you know, challenging politically, ethically, well written and. Seven to ten pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, very good. <laughs> and a lot of my students are refugees or. You know, recent immigrants or new arrivals of one kind or another and find uh, um, something about of interest in it yeah thanks for the recommendation i i uh um i i'm teaching a freshman seminar on short personal essays right now and i i am already i'm mentally adjusting the syllabus for the next time i do it based yeah. on yep. the students reactions these, to things these are really good um, I think he might he, he might have had a heavy um, editorial hand because they all sound a little bit like him. <laughs> sure. Yeah, he, he has a very uh, you know he's he's a stylist. Yeah. You know he has he has a particular kind of sentence um, that's a little bit Jamaica Kincaid, <laughs> a little bit Philip Roth. Um, not not un unnabakavi either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's who I compare him to in my intro as kind of like a cultural chameleon and uh, kind of like uh, um, sort of z- z- zipping between the, the thriller and the, um, the sort of intellectual treatise. Yeah. Yeah. He's very formal. Yeah. It's a very formal kind of sentence and paragraph that I like. Well, I haven't read the short stories yet. I'm I'm curious how, if that uh-huh. voice of the sympathizer, how much of that is the the spy protagonist, and how much of it is his, uh, how much of it is his sort of inherent uh, writerly self presentation. Yeah, yeah. I'd uh, say uh, Greg Pardlow came through. Oh yeah, you know what? Yeah. I barely got to talk to him. Um, uh-huh. Stephanie and I arrived late uh, last for dinner, and as a result, he was already surrounded by a little protective cloud of. Uh, of fellow faculty. So yeah. um, when I tried to uh, talk to him, he just couldn't hear what I was saying. <laughs> so we just talked to the people sitting next to us. Uh, yeah. But what a sweet guy. He gave a great reading. Oh, he he's, mm-hmm. he's written this memoir about his father. Actually, I should link to that. Air have traffic. You, yeah. Have you read it yet? I have. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? Right oh, I think it's fantastic. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's uh, framed as a memoir, but it's really essays. I think individual essays, kind of the first half, which are uh, kind of about the father and and uh, kind of the, the story of uh, you know the the the, the conse- consequences of, of Reagan's laying off all the air traffic controllers, both on his own family and then other collateral damage. Yeah, 
but then then the you know the other essays are you know about addiction recovery um and um kind of the curious position of the african-american intellectual writer in sure 2018 you know and some of the the expectations and and uh uh, that that he and because he's he's kind of counter in a lot of his positions mm-hmm. to what people would maybe want him to say and sort of the difficulty of getting people to hear what you're saying precisely. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's beautiful um, and and uh, um, and the, the last few essays I think are 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 the best that are are sort of less. Less subjected, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's really fine. Um, yeah, you read some. Read some. He's, he's going to be out here next month again. Yeah, so. he read some new poems as well, and they were terrific. So, mm-hmm. uh, really enjoyed it, and the very appreciative crowd. So, whatever it is he's trying to do, um, he he found a willing audience in uh, an enthusiastic yeah. audience in Ithaca. I think. Yeah, well, he's charming. Quietly charming. Yeah. The uh, I went out um, this last like Thursday to Saturday. I went out and read at a few places in Eastern Oregon. Yeah, which are small places because you know out after Portland. I mean, there's not really. I don't know if there's a city of more than a hundred thousand people in Oregon. Maybe Bend is a little. I don't know. Hundred thousand in Bend. I don't Portland's think so. not, yeah. I'm not. Probably not even in Bend. Yeah. Uh, Becomes very. The farther east I go in Oregon, the more familiar it becomes to my my Kansas. <laughs> uh, sure. Oh, uh, the population so I, of Bend, by the way, is uh, ninety one thousand one hundred twenty two in the last census. So larger uh, than I would have expected. You but. can do it, guys. <laughs> you can do it. They probably have done it by now. People are moving there in throngs. People are retiring there because it's in the northwest, but it also gets sun sometimes. That's a rare treat. But anyway, go on. So I went out. Uh, this is in the auspices of the Literary Arts, which does the Oregon Book Awards, which I was up for up for one last year. Yeah. And uh, um, sort of ask if you would, you know, they, they do a number of little tours of, of uh, writers. So I went out with another writer, Matthew Robinson, who's very good. You might like him, a short story writer, a book called The Horse Latitudes. Uh-huh. Very good. A veteran writer. Um, here in this, Portland, uh, you mean a, a writer of long standing or a military veteran? Uh, a writer, uh, a, a young writer of of military standing. Got it. Yeah. Um, and we read in La Grande, Oregon, at Eastern Oregon University, uh-huh. at the invitation of uh, old Missoulians uh, David Axelrod and Jody Varen, who were uh, Hugo students. Um, but have been in La Grande for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, friends of Robert and Deborah's. And I've, I've met them a number of times in Missoula. Yeah. La Grande's a little town. Little town. A little college. Nice, nicely put together. But um, it's isolated out there. Met with some students who were fantastic. Um, and then, then read. Um, and... You're reading from I, uh, the I, last book or from new work or both? I read new new poems. I sh- I realized that because I was there because of the last book, I should have read from the last book. But eh. but I have some new poems. I'm just say here's a here's a version about. of my long poem "Museum on the Moon" from my last book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Legrand was nice. Stayed at a little Best Western hotel. I uh, rode out there with a uh, friend Susan who organized the thing. So I didn't have my own wheels. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we rode out there and did the reading and then went back to the hotel. And I, I, I try not to have anything to drink before I read because I get a little gabby. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have anything to drink before and I was gabby anyway. Sure. And then afterwards, the, the, we'd gone to dinner and everybody else had had a bunch to drink. So nobody wanted to go out after the reading. And so just went back to the hotel and – put my feet up and watch tv but um 
you know, if you do, I think this is true for re- some. Sometimes it's true for reading. I think it's always true for playing music. You need to wind down a little bit afterwards, right? You kind of sure. Uh, you need a little. Yeah, definitely. You know, or, or it gets weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just you know, went went to sleep, but I felt like uh, uh, felt felt improper. I felt more you know, indulgent to go back and put on my little breathing mask, watch some HBO, and sleep for nine hours. Yeah. You know, I I, wrong. I find the I think find the post reading. I I prefer to go out if we're going to go out. If I'm going to go out with the hosts, I mm-hmm. um, I sort of prefer it before, which is not what usually happens. That's what happened when I gave my talk at Sarah Lawrence. Because mm-hmm. what I wanted to do after my talk was just get the hell out of there and listen to a podcast in the car for four hours. Because um, it's oh, just, you drove you drove home. Actually. I drove home, yeah, because I had to teach yeah. the next morning, so I did it all oh, in one yeah. day. Yeah, you got to hustle home. You got to hustle home. So, uh, but. Uh, um, these kind of I I feel for our visitors at Cornell with these sort of ponderous after after reading dinners, um, which I avoided for a while. Maybe out of sympathy for them or just sort of general uh, temporary dyspepsia. But um, now I'm back at it, and I'm I I I'm almost exhausted after watching somebody read. You know these these electronic music festivals like the one I was at this weekend. They don't after after the sh- after everybody plays. It's sort of traditional for all the musicians to storm the stage and start geeking out about each other's equipment and then jamming. Yeah, yeah. and I know this is a long. Here's what my synthesizer sounds like. Exactly. Here's what my synthesizer sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And you get to- my theremin goes like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, pretty much the conversation, right? I'm, it's pretty much it, yeah. And everyone recognizes each other's gear because everyone are gear geeks in the electronic music world. And um, I just don't want to jam. I want to get out of there. I kind of, I, I literally ran out the door during the during the jam. Uh, by the way, I also realized that with with uh, I said this on Twitter with with a kind of uh, dawning horror that the the term for the the genre of music that Jim and I are playing is Jambient. <laughs> Jambient. Yeah. Jambandient? Calbedient? <laughs> Jambandient. <laughs> mm. Good. So after Legrand, yeah, go we on. went to, um, I walked around Legrand for much of the day because my, uh, my host was, uh, her, her son lives there, writes for the paper. So she went and had lunch with him. Sure. I walked around. Legrand, which is uh, um, a lot of old feed buildings and warehouses, uh, you know, falling down. I think they have really tough winters out there. Um, uh, you know, uh, swirling, falling leaves, uh, distant mountains. Yeah. Um, a little chill. It was too hot in the sun and too cold in the shade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought my banjo, so I sat on a bench and practiced it for a while. Um, kind of felt a little Lagrandian for a while. <laughs> sure. And then we rolled over to Enterprise, Oregon, which is about <laughs> an hour away, in the Wallawa County, uh, which is its own little weird region of the West. It's the whole West compressed into one county that is a long ways from anything. It has it has a, a very tall mountain chain in the middle of it. It ha- has Hell's Canyon of the Snake, which is almost sea level. Yeah, it's got sort of rolling Palouse, high prairies. Uh, not many people, not many people. Um, so I went to the town of Enterprise and read at Fish Trap, which is a little literary organization there that's pretty fantastic. I had a nice, nice crowd. Uh, played a little banjo at the end of it because, because I'd rather play banjo than read poems. Sure, and. Uh, um, and then then went out, and then had the privilege of going out after the anxiety of reading and having some tasty beers. Um, with I don't remember if you knew John Jonathan Plummer in Missoula is a friend of mine. I don't know. You might have moved on. Anyway, so he's living there in Enterprise with his wife, yeah. Jean. They're both very interesting. I stayed at their place if you live in a little town like enterprise um you can buy a big house yeah that's what i hear 
the big view of the mountains. I think you can also live in a town like Enterprise and and because the wages are, are low correspondingly and end up in a shitty situation as well. Sure. Um, but they they uh, moved there from a city, so they had maybe a few more choices than other people did. Every town uh, is a town where you can end up in a shitty situation. Yeah. Beautiful view of the mountains, a couple of gigantic cats. Sure. You, you mean pet cats, not like mountain pet cats? cats? Pet cats, yeah. So we went to Terminal Gravity Brewing, which is there, ah. which is one of the best breweries in the West. Wow. And their beer is available spottily in Portland and elsewhere in Seattle. I've always liked it. They have a nice little brewery. The head brewer's name is Frank. Mm-hmm. He's married to my friend Zani, who's a poet. Very good. That's Terminal Gravity Beers. Went to a place called Range Rider, which yeah. is an old cowboy bar, such as you would be familiar with in a Missoula or a Hot Springs or a Polson. Sure. Or a Dixon or Ravalli or Phillipsburg. I was gonna Drummond. I was gonna link to it, but it there are pay there are pages on Facebook, so no way. But um looks good. Yeah, good neon sign. Oh, and they had this is what I this is the uh, of all of my travels the last few weeks, the the one thing I wanted to make sure to tell you about was Sidewinders. Yes. Which is a potato snack they had at Range Riders. Um which is uh it's sort of a corkscrewed potato. It's like a like a uh like a wiggly jojo. Wiggly jojo. Like a wiggly jojo, yeah. All right, hold on. I think they, I think they, I don't, I can't tell at what point they cut it, but I think they, I think they sort of corkscrew cut it and then fry it. Um, So it's sort of the weight and heft of a JoJo. Yeah. But in, in a kind of a spiral shape. Um, Here they are, uh, Sidewinders Fries. It looks, is that a, is is it a trademark? Is it a brand? Well, that could be. That could be because there's a. Uh, they were kind of bragging on it like it was something that they made there, though. Mel, they maybe might dump may, them out of a bag into a fryer. I possibly. bet somebody just. I bet somebody just sees the sees the term and and slapped a slapped a uh, uh, trademark on it. But yeah. oh, look at this! Look at this. Simplot, this horrible name for a company that makes food. Simplot sues McCain Foods USA for copying its twisted potato product, Sidewinders. Mm. Nice. French fry manufacturer J.R. Simplot is that of Boise? Yeah. Has filed a lawsuit against its competitor, McCain Foods USA, for copying its twisted potato product, Sidewinder, a product they protected with a design patent, which is bullshit. If you have been to uh, a Goodwill anytime in the recent past, you're going to find. Uh, the rotato. Excuse me. You know the rotato. It's a it's an appliance, a Popel TV sold appliance where you put a potato. You're shaking your head like I've no. never heard of a rotato. Rotato. You've never heard of this. No. Come on. Rotato. I'm surprised and saddened that I haven't. All right. Well, I'm, I'll be honest. It's actually the matter is that I haven't heard of a. Rotato. It's actually new to me too. I thought the name yeah, was funny, okay. and uh, it turns out when I it put it on funny. the internet, people people said, "Oh, yeah, the rotato." My dad uses the rotato. That's it what seems they say that, about everything on the internet. Yeah. The, well, the people who use my them dad used are to dads. use that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, cutting potatoes on a spiral uh, it seems to me it should that shouldn't be patentable, but. Uh, lo and behold, it is. So, the, but it is a thing that you ate at a bar, and it was good. The jalapeno ranch dip, yeah, for the sidewinder. While drinking a, a hand crampingly cold beer, yeah, it's, a, it's not a bad way to wind down. No, from sir, a thing. definitely not. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of you. I think of you a lot. But I was thinking of you last oh. week when I bought some uh, Wegmans, our local grocery store chain. They now carry uh, a beta. Uh, Turbo Dog. Turbo Dog's good. Yeah, and I, I, you're the one who introduced me to it. And it remains yeah. one of my favorite uh, favorite. Turbo beers. Dog's good. Yeah, my favorite is still their Amber, which is their sort of the base beer if you're in New Orleans yeah. of theirs. But I think that when they distribute it nationally, they you know they either the Turbo Dog or the Purple Haze. Yeah. Uh, 
a little more distinctive. So I have two more, two more things I did. I want to tell you about, mm-hmm. um, one of them is, this is a quick one. I forgot to tell you this last week. We went roller skating. I haven't, how, how, how quaint. Yeah. Right. I haven't been in a very like long a time. Date? Yeah. It was a date night. Date night roller mm-hmm. skating. And the reason that we did it was we had watched the um, HBO series uh, Sharp Objects in which some sinister teens are mm-hmm. roller skating around town. And uh, the idea was floated to go roller skating. It turns out our local ice rink at the public park in the summer, every couple of weeks, does a little roller skating night. So uh, this is Cass Park in Ithaca. Totally delightful. It is as though nothing has changed since 1978. They were still playing YMCA by the Village People. And a series of songs since then that are clearly lend themselves to, ro- to roller skating, too. And I don't really know what makes a roller skating song a roller skating song. but uh, I think a sense of abandon. Sure. A feeling of abandon. Um. Certain tempo, a lot of major chords. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Maybe a, a, um, a chorus you can shout along to. A like, fun message. I suppose Hey Ya is one of the songs they played, right? They didn't play it, but I, Hey Ya might be too sad for well, a roller it, it, rink. We think we've talked about how ultimately it's a sad, it's a very, very, very sad, sad song. song. Yeah. Uh, Despacito. Yeah. Despacito was one of them. Like that, I can, you know, I had never heard it in a roller rink before, but it immediately seemed to me to be very appropriate. Uh-huh. Uh, they also had, and they have a uh, concession. Chumbawamba? Did they do any Chumbawamba? <laughs> no, they should have, though. Yeah. Uh, they have a little concession stand where you can get like a soda for 50 cents or some french fries for a dollar. Haven't uh, Obviously, I haven't changed the prices for Crushed decades. Ice. Sure. Crushed ice and an orange drink? Uh, if you want. And there's a Ms. Pac-Man machine, and I uh, I got the high score on the Ms. Pac-Man machine while a bunch of nine-year-olds looked on. Sit saying, down or uh, stand up? Stand. Oh, it's not a not a, what is that called? Cocktail style? What is it? Cabaret style? Console Were you style? wearing your roller skates while you played it? Yes, that's the way to do it. Yeah, it's the only way to do Adds it. Adds a little challenge because you might fall on your ass. Yeah, exactly. You're a bit taller too. Um, yeah. So that was yeah. that was great. I was I was literally someone from the eighties. So I was yeah. I'm to the manor born. But yeah. the other thing I want to tell you is like I um I'm gonna I gotta write a short story about this. I'm 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 sort of turning it over in my mind. Yesterday I was uh or no it was Saturday. I st- I've started volunteering for this this organization in Ithaca. I won't say what it is just in case this it's uh, I don't know. I, I, the Proud Boys. <laughs> yeah, just just in case any of them are listening, I don't want to you know, make but them feel self conscious. Basically, you know, about, I, so, I, I it's had an to, organization. Uh, it's a club. I had to unload a couple of mattresses a few months ago, and um, they were clean. They were very usable, but most of the time, people don't want used mattresses. But there's an organization in town that will accept clean used furniture and they will give it to people who need, who need it. And, uh, they were having trouble like scheduling a time to pick them up. So I said, oh, why don't I, why don't I just bring them to you? And then when I brought them, I thought, why am I not just driving for you if you don't have any drivers? So I'm, so I'm now occasionally driving a truck for this organization. They have a truck. You don't have a truck. No, I don't have a truck. They have like a like they have like a uh, re- renovated, re- repurposed, repainted uh, U-Haul type truck. Okay. And you spend half the day picking stuff up, and the other half of the day giving it to people. That's great. Um, and I sh- I showed up. Um, it was supposed to be me and another guy and a, t- a high school student, a teenage girl who was going to follow behind us in her car and kind of help out. Um, she'd done it many times before. Um, and was sort of an old hand at it, but the other guy didn't show up. And so it was just me and her. And she actually was willing to like ride in the truck with a middle-aged man. She just met. turns out she knows my kid um, Mm -hmm. and was, was herself a really great kid, but she, we spent like four hours pick, picking up stuff from rich people and then giving it to people in need. And uh, man, everyone's lives are very interesting. And different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But the longer we went on, the more complicated each stop became. Like we arrived at one place where um, a lady with a disability that sort of kept kept her seated for most of the day, she wasn't able to dismantle the furniture that she was giving us. So we had to figure out how to do it. And as we were, so that took about half an hour. And as we were leaving her place, this neighbor, very, very tiny old woman, actually reminded me of the old woman in Winter and the Blood, the grandmother mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. who barely speaks and just rocks in her chair. She's sort of beckoning. Uh, well, what actually happened was she she beckoned my my partner with a finger, and my the the kid followed her into her apartment. This is just a neighbor, some random nearby person. And um, and so when I came out when I came out of the other lady's house, my partner was missing, and I finally saw her in this other apartment, and went in there. And this lady who had no English, um, I don't know what language she did know, but um, she kept pointing at the ceiling and saying, I think she was saying, Benno, Benno. It was the only word she said the whole time we were there. And first we didn't understand. She like, we followed her in her wheelchair to a bedroom where she was pointing up at what seemed to be the light and we were flipping the light. We thought she wanted the light on, but we turned the light on. She's shaking her head. No, no. And she keeps pointing and saying, Benno. Benno. And then, in a moment of silence, where we were just all standing there trying to figure out what she needed from us, we heard that little chirp of a fire, of fire, a alarm. fire uh-huh. alarm with a dying battery. Yeah. And we're like, oh. And she's like, Benno, Benno. And, like, and we're like, yeah, yeah, you want, you want that to stop? And she's like, no, you know, she's nodding her <laughs> head. But she can't figure out which one it is. The apartment has like four or five of them. So we would find, we'd have to find one and stand under it and just stand there looking at it, waiting for it to beep. And then the beep would come and it was clearly not coming from this room. And we, we went all the way around this place several times Mm -hmm. and eventually determined that it was the upstairs neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) So we, you know, there was really nothing, the upstairs neighbors weren't there. There was nothing we could do really. And that we had other stuff we had to do before, before we were supposed to drop off the truck and go home. But uh, it was this moment. She also, the lady reminded me like of a very benign version of Don Hector from Breaking Bad. You know, the, the 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 uh the old gangster in the wheelchair Hector Salamanca Hector Salamanca yeah uh and uh but here's the thing there's this feeling so at the beginning of this shift I had to go pick up the truck keys at the coordinator's house and she lives on a downtown dead end and um in order to get out of there and drive over to where the truck was I had to go in this cul-de-sac this make a U-turn in this cul-de-sac and the details of the cul-de-sac were very distinctive for some reason. There's a there's a Porta John down there. There's some kind of construction project going on. There's a Porta John there with some debris next to it, like uh, some cinder blocks. And then there's like a kind of warehousey type building. And there's a chain link fence. And beyond it is the is the highway. And there's some like dead leaves and gravel. And you go you know you go around here and you pass all of these little features. And then you exit the street. And so I drew after the shift. I went over dropped off the keys, told the told the coordinator lady how things went. And then I got in my car and I wanted to go back to my house. So I go around the cul-de-sac again. And after like this day of stops of errands of increasing stress and weight and uh, physical exertion, this idea that I was about to feel this feeling of release that, ah, the day is done and now I get to go home and relax. And yeah. I'm coming around the cul-de-sac and suddenly got this chill thinking, what if it's not over and every time I go around this cul-de-sac, it just restarts the day so that I am, I will not have control of my car. It will be 1 p.m. again. I'm going to go around the cul-de-sac and I'm going to go back to the DMV parking lot and I'm going to get into the truck and then the guy is going to come to the DMV parking lot with the mattresses and then my teenage companion is going to show up and then we're going to get in the truck and we're going to drive up the lake and get the couch from the rich lady. And I just was like, oh God, <laughs> not that it was a bad, 
Not that it was a bad yeah. day. It was a good day. But it was like this idea of climbing up the hill of the day and then performing this, performing this act a second time. Yeah. And the idea that I could get stuck in this loop in which yeah. I'm doomed to have this as the only sensory input for eternity would yeah. be those four hours. Yeah. Without variation. Without variation, and I, I, and that was the that moment of reflection is the only insight or recognition that you would ever have of it, and it would be fleeting, and then back to it. Well, in the in the version of it, I imagine it's sort of like sort of like the way I imagine dementia to be, which is you know exactly what is happening to you, you can see yeah. clearly what's happening around you, but you are powerless to change the situation you're powerless to communicate the way you want to uh the uh house of wax feeling the the medusa's uh, uh the gorgon's head you know that yeah. story no I mean, it's like a um uh, it's like a i guess i remember it from a from like a, a halloween uh radio program it's k-a-n-u out of uh, university of kansas did a lot of uh, like old radio yeah. on Sunday nights. Um, usually it was kind of the sitcom things like Henry Aldridge. Um, uh, but they have one, there was one that was Peter Laurie and it's called the Gorgon's head. And it's, uh, uh, uh a murderer who's, who's, um, there's a, a, a wax master who, uh, um, Kind of Dexter's murderers, like he finds <laughs> murderers who haven't who have escaped justice, and then turns them into uh, wax figures. But by, because somehow he has the Medusa's head, and so he paralyzes them, and then covers them in wax, uh-huh. and they are not dead, but they also cannot move, Oof. and they just uh, uh, look, and, and it's all narrated by one of them. Um, as people are coming through the museum and he's sort of listening to them say, Oh, how, how lifelike and, and hearing the, uh, you know, the guy give them his patter and assuring them that, you know, that they're, they're just wax, but you know, boy, it's Peter Laurie, you know, very, very muttering Peter Laurie <laughs> telling his, his, the whole story. Uh, I may have almost every fact of that wrong. <laughs> That's fine. Stayed, That's fine. It stayed with me. <laughs> That's fine. It's. Yeah. I think it's. Uh, it's. It's. It speaks to what you. What your. What your brain seizes on and needs to think about. Yeah. But yeah, the, if someone says to you that you look so lifelike, you know there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, you look so real, John. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> So today's Monday. Yeah. We usually end up talking on weekends. Yeah. It feels a little different. It is different. I have I have the day off today. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to post this podcast. I'm going to try to Have you write... had lunch yet? Uh, no. No, I'll have some lunch first, I think. Probably some fix le- a lunch? leftover log of lamb. Nice. Um, and... Uh, Oh, uh, your friend and mine, Rian Ellis, is giving a talk at the public library tonight on Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Oh, fantastic. I would like to hear her talk about that. So Owen and I are going to go to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I think uh going to chill out here at home and uh, try to get over this cold before I teach a uh, freshman seminar tomorrow. That's the plan. You should, have some, you should have some chicken soup. There's some in the fridge. There's some leftover yeah. chicken soup in the fridge, and I may just go for it mm-hmm. instead of the log of lamb. Yeah, you could crumble the lamb into the chicken soup. <laughs> it's not a bad and, idea. And, and and disgust everybody <laughs> while you do it. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, how about how about you? What are your plans for the rest of the day? Uh, we've got. Uh, I've got to get a, a, a tail lamp fixed on my car. Or mm-hmm. I backed into a tree, uh. which was a bad idea. Um, and Oscar, we'll go play. We'll go hang out at my friend Craig's house, uh, which is a kind of upside down fun house, mm-hmm. kind of a bachelor dad, um, uh, uh, books on the floor everywhere. Um, 
wine without corks. Uh, 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 Columbo playing on TV. The kids like to watch Columbo over there. Uh-huh. <laughs> kids like Columbo, just like they always did. And otherwise, uh, prepare. For, Jill flew down to Ashland today, and we'll fly back tonight for work. Oh my! Really? Yeah. yeah. So it'll be a lot of Oscar time today. And we're getting ready for the Airstream Poetry Festival, which is this oh, weekend. Oh, sure. Great, great. Uh, making the final final plans for that. It's going to be fantastic. I've got to lead some parlor games on Friday night and prepare for the. Uh, uh, so we start with parlor games, and then sun. There's a lot of activity until Sunday mornings. Um, uh, warm reassurances and march to the sea. That's what we have last on the, the list. In between a lot of actual poetry-related things. We've got some poetry movies. <laughs> yeah? We've got a small press. You can uh, like watch a, uh, like a... Like a fine arts press uh, person there from Expedition Press. Going to do some things. You going to watch my favorite poetry movie, Fine Madness? A Fine Madness? Evan Costello? No, Laurel no. Hardy? Uh, uh, Sean Connery and Gene Seberg. Never seen it. It's really good. I Never think, seen I, it. I think, the, I think the magazine was named after it. Yeah. That magazine, um, we had, they published a few poems of mine, and they did an anniversary issue. And they, um, I sent them a poem, and uh, they didn't like my syntax. <laughs> we had a discussion about grammar. And I said, I don't remember what it was. I was like, no, this, I think this pretty clearly says, this is the grammar, you know, this is how I want it to be. Like, uh, it makes sense. And it's, it's, it's a normal thing for poetry to have a complicated syntax. And they're like, nope, won't have it. Won't publish it. Wow. Like, not like they rejected it. Like they had, they had solicited it and taken it and we were editing it and, this is the only time I've ever had anybody have that reaction in like the editing process. Yeah, that's very like, oh, surprising. You want to take the change? Well, then fuck you. Wow. It's like, well, fuck you too. <laughs> fuck my that. I um, think it's been gone for a long time. Yeah, i i had a I had a, a solicitation from a small magazine, small online magazine, a couple of weeks ago. As it happens, I did. I'm not going to give them anything just because they have a specific sort of political bent that I don't really have anything that adheres to but i went to the page um Mm -hmm. and right above the fold you don't even have to scroll down to see it there there are two there are twin ads about like carb abatement at the bottom a little cartoon a little belly fat cartoon of somebody pinching the fat on their belly two advertisements Mm -hmm. belly fat ads i thought Mm -hmm. no that's not what you want to send your your potential contributors to belly fat. No, a belly fat encouraging ad. <laughs> Be fine. Yes, it would. It's called "Have Another Sidewinder." <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Then we'll give you some lunch Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well then come to lunch Cause it's time for lunch Box with Ed and John That's right It's time for lunch Box with Ed and John